Hello, welcome to episode three of the Pre-Snap Motion Podcast. I am Dan Pizzuta, joined here, as always, by Rich Rebar. Rich, how are you doing today? Dan, what's going on? We made it. We flipped the page to another month. You know, we're in May now. Uh, so we are, you know, tentatively approaching, you know, the, the summer. And, you know, we're probably not going to go to OTAs or training camp. But, you know, football still is kind of in the news. It looks like the schedule is going to actually come out on time, whether that's altered or not. After it does come out, we will see. But, you know, the, the days are starting to flip off the calendar now. Yeah, what a great time to start an NFL and fantasy football podcast when – there is soon going to be no NFL news for, for quite a while. Schedule will be coming out at the end of this week. Uh, luckily, we are a fantasy football podcast, um, so there are going to be a lot of fantasy football things happening as it's May now. We just had the draft, so some dynasty rookie drafts are going to be happening. Uh, if you have some, some other drafts, those might be happening, so we are going to dive into that. But let's talk about kind of one of the other things that might come up with some of these guys that we're going to be looking at in their, their outlooks into 2020 and for dynasty beyond. And that's a bunch of these guys that had their fifth year options either picked up or not picked up uh, this past week. And this was a 2017 draft class that was not great in offensive talent. Uh, There was Patrick Mahomes and Deshaun Watson, but if you did not pick one of those two quarterbacks, uh, wink, wink, Chicago Bears, uh, you, you did not come out very well. We, had, we saw fifth-year options decline from Mitchell Trubisky, Corey Davis, John Ross. These were highly drafted guys who were expected to be a focal point of these offenses, and they just haven't been that. So, Rich, are there guys you might be looking at maybe to see how they impact 2020? And maybe are we, do we think any of these guys are going to be in better situations going forward in 2021? Or do we think some of the guys are just – they are what they are and and we should just kind of move on yeah almost like roster weight material you know especially now that Devontae Parker like kind of broke the mold last year and had kind of that later breakout but you typically waiting on those types of guys uh, is generally not you know going to bear a lot of fruit and you know none of these guys that you talk about you know we talk about those guys were all taken in the top 10 too you know Corey Davis and John Ross as wide receivers but none of them really can maintain being you know none of them are them are are, are a target target hog in their offense you know maybe Corey Davis if some injuries broke his way again but we've seen the Titans already invest into A.J. Brown in the second round last year and he overtook Corey Davis as the alpha wide receiver on that offense a year ago and we expect him to take another step forward in year two especially with the Titans not picking up the fifth year option Corey Davis is a big signal that you know hey this is our guy going forward you know John Ross you know we've seen him you know almost we're living this thing it's hard to not draw the 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 Henry Ruggs corollary you know just because you know guys that are fast Uh, you know but Ross's best window to probably produce was last year and then once again injuries you know caught up to him he's only played 24 games on his rookie contract so far uh, that's just not going to get it done, you know, especially not, you can't pay a guy that amount of money, um, especially not when he's not providing like that Will Fuller edge when he does play, you know, John Ross hasn't turned into that kind of entity. So yeah, we're kind of just in roster weight, you know, kind of just hope they catch on, you know, in the, in, in the second contract, those two wide receivers, see what happens. Maybe just like a fringe guy you would roster in a deeper league just to see how it plays out. I mean, Corey Davis is definitely a guy you're still going to have rostered to see how it plays out because he's got worst, you know, the, the two and three option there. It's in a, a low volume offense, but you know, if you have an injury or something shake out, you know, maybe he can provide some flex production, you know, along the way. Uh, but, you know, 
Trubisky, uh, you know, the Bears would still be incentivized to see what he has over Nick Foles, but definitely all the signs point to them not really going in that direction. You know, you trade for Foles, give him a new contract. It really seems like now he's the favorite to almost be the starter at this point, where we kind of thought it'd be more of a QB battle, and I'm sure there still will be a battle, but it kind of might be a faux battle at this time. So, yeah, I mean, we're in a real tough spot with all these guys, uh, but we've seen the top of that class, the draft cap will really not work out. We were kind of going through the draft before the show a bit and talking about the second round of guys like Zay Jones were drafted. It was really the secondary wide receivers, the Chris Godwins, the Jujus, and the Cooper Cups that ended up popping from that draft class. Uh, so, yeah, that's where we are with those guys. Yeah, it's wild. And there were a lot of people who liked guys like Corey Davis and, and John Ross. Corey Davis was a, a side speed guy that didn't always use that size and just kind of left a little bit desired with that speed uh, and in yards after the catch type of guy who just wasn't really able to, to catch on in as that number one type role. So maybe he's is more suited for that number two, but that's not something you're going to be spending that top five fifth year option money on uh, for someone like that. So maybe he comes back at, at a cheaper deal. I, I wouldn't expect him to just completely disappear from that offense. John Ross, I, I kind of would. I'm not expecting a lot from him to uh, be going in that Cincinnati offense right now. I, like you said, he hasn't played a lot, and he's just a deep threat that hasn't always been able to consistently win deep in the NFL when he has been on the field. He had that huge week one last year, uh, but that was off a uh, flea flicker and, and some other kind of fluky plays, so it wasn't really him dominating like we expected, and he really wasn't as dominant as a lot of people thought coming out of out of Washington when you look at what he did compared to the rest of that Washington offense. So uh, when you look at what the Cincinnati offense does have right now and with T Higgins, AJ green and, uh, and Tyler uh, Boyd. I mean, that that's going to be, that's going to be their top three. So Ross is the wide receiver four there uh, at best probably. And, and he might not even see that much. So oh, I think, don't think we should be expecting much. Let's talk about the, the running back in that group. Um, and that's Leonard Fournette. Um, last year he was the, RB7 in PPR points, and that was due to a lot of receptions. Not necessarily great receptions when you're talking about a football value, but in PPR, you're getting the point for those babies, whether they really do much or not. Um, but the Jaguars just signed Chris Thompson, who was a favorite of now offensive coordinator Jay Gruden, who was the head coach of Washington, with Chris Thompson. So we might think some of those receptions are going to be going to Thompson what do we think of Leonard Fournette's role right now? He still is that main back, but it seems like they're kind of adding some pieces that might take away that role a little bit. Yeah, Fournette finally did what we were looking for him to do. I mean, he stayed healthy last year. And, you know, staying healthy, he set a career high in touches. He had 341 touches, just a little under 1,700 yards. And you talk about he had 76 catches. And that was with running into some really severe, you know, poor touchdown luck. I mean, he had just three touchdowns on all those touches. But he had 86% of the Jaguar uh, running back carries. Uh, and, and, he, and he played 85% of the team snaps. You know, those only trailed Christian McCaffrey in terms of, you know, lead bell cow usage. Now, two things happened to him. Now, one was when the Jaguars, like, halfway through the season decided they were going to swerve into being terrible and being an awful football team. Like, he started to become more Le'Veon Bellish. I mean, over the final seven games last year, he was a top 20 PPR score just twice. Uh, just really was sacking on just hollow, hollow value every week. Um, like Le'Veon was last year. Um, and then like you talk about, there's also a difference between being able to catch a football and being a receiver that adds value and is worth an offense getting 
the football through the air out of the backfield. And Fournette was more the former. Uh, but his effectiveness and his efficiency, you know, were strictly of a player getting a ton of checkdowns instead of, like, being that asset that really added to your offense. Under seven yards per catch. He had just 19 total air yards on 100 targets all season. You talk about they <laughs> add Chris Thompson. Uh, those targets now, his, his target share should probably revert now, probably to that, you know, sub-10% share. Thompson also has his own set of worries of staying on the field as well. So it's not like Chris Thompson – it's not like you're going to be like, well, the Jaguars signed Chris Thompson, you're going to run completely away. But it does take away a role, like you said that gave him that roster smoothing uh you know kind of volume that gave him that saved him from those touchdowns um you know rumors were kind of swirling around that they were shopping him prior to the draft they obviously you know found no takers I mean also the optics of Jacksonville trading him was completely hilarious because they released like a negative press release like before the draft on like how he was you know late to meetings and late to the facility like if you're gonna trade a guy like you don't release negative press on him like you gotta or if you have a leak in your system that's not how you move move someone uh but they didn't use any picks on a running back in the draft they had 12 picks um in the depth chart like outside of chris thompson taking that third down roll is still really shallow so he's gonna be kind of a you know do we set up ourselves for a fallacy that they just use him up but because the social standing with the team right now has just been negative all off season. So with that and him losing the catches, he's kind of a guy that, you know, I'm not really excited to, to draft right now where he's being taken, you know, kind of that, in that mid RB two range. Um, even if you talk yourselves in the touches, I think just outright, I would rather, you know, go with guys that can sell myself on more upside, uh, you know, in like maybe even like a guy like Todd Gurley, I just believe it is in a way better spot now than where Fournette was. Um, even though, you know, he has some red flags as well. So unless he gets traded, you know, maybe he get, if he still gets traded uh, the rest of the reindeer this offseason and his uh, situation changes, but it's not looking great because the team doesn't look good again, uh, and he's going to lose those, those receptions and those snaps there. It's such an interesting place for the, the Jaguars and Fournette. There's just not a lot to like about any of that fit or that offense, uh, especially on the ground. I think some of, some of my favorite uh, four Nick games last year were the ones where he had like 13 carries for 44 yards and then would kind of like break this 60 yard run that kind of made his game look okay. Uh, but it was just uh, terrible up until like one long run. And I'm not sure those it, are uh, going to carry over. Was it at that Titans game? Did it at one point you have like negative five rushing yards, then had like a 65 yard run and it put him at like 56 yards of the game. Uh, we got like ran down at like the two yard line and then just could he was like gassed and couldn't punch it in. But the, I think that was the game, right? The, the, the week, the yearly Thursday night Jaguars Titans battle. Yeah, it was, it was something like that. And I don't, I don't think anything encapsulates the, the 2019 Jaguars uh, much better than that. So what we are actually going to talk about today is Rich's early 2020 rankings. Uh, as we look forward to the fantasy football season, uh, Rich has rankings for, for dynasty, for season long, all the positions. Uh, we talked about them a little bit in terms of the rookies last week. We're going to dive into a little bit about just the, the full rankings this week as we get a, a quick preview of what we can expect for these guys going forward. So you can find all of these rankings uh, at the Fantasy Football Hub at sharpfootballanalysis.com. Um, so we're just going to go position by position, kind of look at where Rich might have some, some differences, and he's going to talk us through uh, what he's thinking of in some of these guys. So at quarterback, there's really – there's only so much we can talk about because I think a lot of people are realizing that in fantasy football, you can sit and kind of wait for that quarterback. So if a lot of rankings are going to look the same, no one is really going to be 
pushing uh, a quarterback highly and saying you need to go for that first guy. But that first guy is super interesting because that's Lamar Jackson. And he was a league winner last year. He was a late round quarterback for some leagues last year. Um, if, if some people just weren't buying into the hype yet, but if you had him, and that was, that was a league winner. That was a quarterback that did change. But so much of that was is going to be hard to repeat the amount of rushing yards, the, the touchdown rate. So how are we viewing Lamar Jackson in terms of what his value is and compared to the rest of the quarterbacks uh, in fantasy football this season? Yeah. Everyone always kinds of kind of wants to know like when, when that first guy should go off the board and if we should chase what happened last year. And you know, that typically hasn't worked out. I mean, you talked about, it. I mean, not only did you get the, rushing that you kind of expected when you drafted Lamar Jackson I mean you also got 36 passing touchdowns from him he had a nine percent touchdown rate last year after just a three and a half percent touchdown rate as a rookie the league rate last year in 2019 was four and a half percent including Jackson's so he, he doubled that um, so there have been uh, 53 other quarterbacks since the 1970 merger in which a passer has had a seven percent touchdown rate or higher so we're not even just like cutting it off at eight and a half percent or eight we're going all the way down to seven percent a full two percent lower than where he was just one of those passers increased his previous touchdown rate the next year. And just one, Aaron Rodgers, 2011-2012, hit the 7% mark again in back-to-back seasons out of those 53 guys. Uh, the average touchdown rate loss for those passers was a minus 2.9% decline in touchdown rate. Um, just 15 of those passers even hit a 6% touchdown rate. The question is, is Jackson going to regress in the touchdown rate department? Just how much? Where does that fall to? Do the 36 touchdowns, you know, fall to 20? Do they fall to 24? Do they throw to 26? Now, where Jackson is unique versus all those other passers that he, you talk about, he's got that, you know, ace of spades, that trump card with trump card of his legs. And remember, this isn't Michael Vick. Jackson is, is getting designed runs. The offense is running through his legs. Through just one and a half seasons as a starting quarterback, he's got 323 rushing attempts. 82% of them are designed runs. I don't have the early numbers, uh, you know, because there wasn't that kind of tracking yet for early career Michael Vick, but I do go back to the 2010 season, that year he popped. So from 2010 to 2013, that run when he was with the Eagles, just 40% of Vick's carries over that stretch um, were designed runs, and 82% of his rushing yardage was from scrambling yardage. So this is a totally different entity in Lamar Jackson. Like the, the offense is actually predicated on those, you know, the, those kind of the, him getting those designed quarterback runs. Uh, and you talk about that led to him leading the, he had the highest fantasy points per game ever in a season. 10.8 of those points per game of his 27.7 came from rushing production alone. If you just took his 10.8 rushing points per game, that would have been good for the 11th most rushing per, points per game amongst running backs in the league. Uh, and it was just the third time a quarterback's hit those double digits. So, I mean, he is kind of a, a unicorn in that, that way that you can say, all right, if the touchdowns do regress, like we're expecting him to, because no one was rolling over this kind of touchdown rate. We saw it even with Mahomes last year, um, but he has this other trump card and the scoring is so weighted. I mean, you know, that's my brand with the Konami code. Um, but, you know, like you said, he's going to go now from being a complete value to where like Mahomes was. Now we've been spoiled in two years in a row now. We're like, we've been drafting a guy in that QB 10 to 15 range and they've not just been a hit they've been all-time great fantasy players like we're not just going to keep consistently drafting guys in that range and have them set a new league record every year that's not going to happen so eventually you know we're going to see some reversion in that as well um, but he's making that jump now from you know that, that QB 10 to 15 you know ADP range all the way to QB 1 I still have him you know kind of in the fourth round range um, 
you know, you'll never get him that highly. Uh, that's where I have him in our ranks, you know, kind of. There's just because, you know, we'll release stuff as the years go on where I'll highlight just the, the how much value you lose taking a quarterback that highly an opportunity cost. But, I mean, he does have that, that ability that you can sell yourself on that even with progression, he's got an ultimate out card that none of these other guys ever, ever had uh, in his back pocket, which makes him one of the more intriguing QB1 rollover types uh, that we've ever had in fantasy. One of the interesting things I think about Jackson and the Baltimore offense in general is just whether they're going to be able to face the same game script they did last year. So much of their running ability was because they got these early leads, they were able to sit on them, um, and they were able to run the ball. Now, Lamar Jackson might be able to have a little more passing upside if he's forced to pass more often, which might be something you're, you're trying to bank on. He was... The 26th in pass attempts well, last year. Sam Darnold, who missed those games with Mono, had more pass attempts than Lamar Jackson. Had 40 more pass attempts than Lamar Jackson. Um, Daniel Jones and the Kyle Allen had more pass attempts than Lamar Jackson. So maybe there's there's a little more uh, volume that goes in there, and there's some added. Uh, ability at wide receiver. You might get a full season at a Marquise Brown. Uh, you, they just drafted a Devin DuVernay. Um, they, the last year, the, the wide receivers on the field were uh, Seth Roberts and Willie Sneed for a whole amount of time. And, and those were the two leading Baltimore receivers in snaps. So you might see that. And I think one thing we also want to talk about is maybe the injury uh, concern. I've, I've seen that a lot going around, but so much of Jackson's runs, like you said, Rich, were designed quarterback runs. And I think it was John Shirley of Sports Info Solutions. And if it wasn't John, I, I apologize to who it was, did a study of injury rates with quarterback runs and found that designed quarterback runs because they know they're running, they're ready to protect themselves. There is blocking for it. It's not just them running out in scrambles. Designed quarterback runs have a lower injury rate than other types of runs. So Jackson is going to be having some of these safer runs that are designed for him and everyone knows he's going to be running. They're going to be protecting him. Um, and he's incredibly hard to catch that, that too. So um, we're going to see a, a lot of stuff that may, still makes Lamar Jackson special. Even if there is some regression in some of those numbers, that doesn't mean he's going to be bad. I think a lot of people took that with Mahomes last year too. Everyone heard regression and thought we were all saying that, Patrick Mahomes was suddenly going to be bad. No, he just wasn't going to be the highest scoring fantasy player ever or throw 60 touchdown passes. He just wasn't going to be able to repeat that. Probably the same thing with Jackson, but he's still going to be quite valuable. Um, yeah, I mean, we I would encourage some negative games here for Jackson too. I mean, they only lost three games last year, and they were three games they kind of trailed throughout. You think about that Chiefs game and the Browns game earlier in the year and then that playoff game against the Titans. And look at what Jackson did fantasy-wise in those games. Like, he went absolutely bananas from a fantasy sense, uh, even though, you know, people will say that he's the, you know, he didn't play well in that Titans game. I mean, he just went nuclear for fantasy. If you get 300-yard passing games and 100-yard rushing games and we can get just jailbreak Lamar Jackson, I, I encourage more jailbreak Lamar Jackson scenarios. Yes, absolutely. I think we can all encourage that just from uh, either a fantasy perspective or just the entertainment value of, of watching him do that. Um, let's move to our running backs now. Uh, we've, we've talked about these running backs uh, quite a bit, but we've kind of talked about the rookies and, and what they mean. But there's a bunch of veterans that are still kind of holding onto the roles. There's not many bell cow backs anymore, but we're, we're 
seeing some veterans just kind of cling on to these roles. And you have Le'Veon Bell and Todd Gurley, two of those guys, um, as top 15 options. Um, Rich, why should we hate ourselves and draft those players uh, where they are? And, and should we just value that they seem to still have a kind of a, a, a hold on, on a larger role, which a lot of other running backs in this league just don't have? Yeah, I think you kind of hit the, the nail on the head there. I mean, I definitely feel a little bit more skeptical about one of these guys than the other, though, just in totality. But, um, you know, I'll talk about the more positive guy, not, not to blow any spoilers, was the guy not attached to Adam Gase. Uh, but, you know, Todd Gurley was kind of a, you know, a sneaky winner throughout the draft. You know, and we, a lot of us expected Atlanta to really, you know, draft a running back, and they didn't. And they only gave Todd Gurley a one-year contract, too, which is kind of one of the reasons we swerved into it and thought, like, yeah, they're going to definitely insure him. But, I mean – the, the rest of the Falcons depth chart is, is kind of a joke right now. Uh, I mean, Edo Smith and Brian Hill have kind of shown just to be like ancillary options. Quadre Olson is kind of, you know, like a bar, scor- bar a Bo Scarborough type. Um, but Gurley, like what hurt him last year is, you know, he, he did have that workload reduction we were worried about and the team hinted at that was going to happen. Per game, he was 17th in touches per game last year. But what killed him is just the evaporation he had in the passing game. I mean, he had just 2.1 catches per game last year after 4.2 and 4.3 his first two years in that Sean McVay offense that just absolutely nuked him you know uh in his fantasy output he still salvaged them because he had he he scored a lot of touchdowns but you didn't have that great floor those those floor games if you look at Todd Gurley's yard from scrimmage for games I mean missing those catches really dinged him a lot in that regard um so he had just 49 passing game targets last year now he's going to an Atlanta team that targeted their backs 113 times last year. Atlanta has run the most pass plays in the NFL last year. They were in top, they were fifth the year before that. So he's going to get run a lot more routes. He's going to get um, a lot more, you know, uh, uh, targets, which is going to help his floor a lot. And then, you know, he's still only 26 years old. And if there's just a shade of, you know, what Todd Gurley, you know, was in terms of, you know, an explosive player and what he's shown that can come back out, you know, playing in a better offense, uh, you know, I don't want to say completely it's, it's a better offense, but it's still, there's, it's, it's a fantasy friendly offense, the Atlanta offense. So he's still in a good situation that way. They're going to play a lot of games indoors, potentially some more shootouts than the Rams, you know, played. Um, and we've seen him kind of have a really inefficient season before, you know, I remember his second year when, and that was a, a terrible offense of climate but you know just 3.8 yards per touch that second year and he bounced back and you know he really hit in a, a big way so I don't have him as a full RB1 there's definitely risk still involved but like I said there you definitely can spin yourself uh you know in a store and Todd Gurley bouncing back with the situation he's set up in now now Le'Veon you know he set career lows in almost every major category in his first season of the Jets and you know stylistically it was just, just was not a fit I mean you think about where Le'Veon you know wins and you know the way he runs you know that that probing of a defense that patience in the backfield but when your offensive line is terrible you ain't wait you can't wait behind anybody you know when there's two you know two or three defenders in the backfield he was uh dead last in yards uh before contact per carry uh, of all running backs last year and that kind of played a role into you know his his efficiency at 3.2 yards per carry which you don't you don't have to stock yards per carry and say it's a good stat but it's like quarterback rating like a bad one still you know at least tells something about the situation and that you were in and 3.2 yards per carry tells a pretty negative story uh, no matter how you want to cut it uh, but on the positive end you said he was a workhorse he had 72 percent of the Jets backfield touches that was eighth among running backs last year um like Leonard Fournette who we talked about I mean he just didn't have that TDG 
issues. He, since 1970, the NFL merger, we've had just 22 players have scored four fewer touchdowns um, on 300 more touches, and we had two last year. Uh, they were the first since 2011 now that it happened in a season. Um, the other thing, too, with Le'Veon, though, is he does feel a little bit like Fournette, not to the extreme, but that looks like he's got one foot off the path and the one his head coach is on. And, given his head coach, that's probably a positive thing for him. Uh, but, you know, Adam Gase is like, they've really never gone out of his way to like say anything positive about Le'Veon Bell. You know, he kind of always like, it doesn't really feel like he takes like a little bit of shot, a shot at him when he can it sometimes. But uh, you look at this depth chart again, not a lot. They drafted LaMichael Pirine, but that's really it. I mean, you look at LaMichael Pirine, Trent Cannon, Kenneth Dixon, and Josh Adams, Jalen Moore. This is a staff that knows they have to win this year. Sam Donald absolutely has to take a step forward this year. Uh, who are they going to give touches to? They're going to give touches to those guys instead of Le'Veon Bell. I still find that hard to believe. So even being a little more skeptical of his surrounding situation, uh, you know, he's still due for a lot of touches and he's another guy that has that pass catching acumen. Uh, he's definitely not con- concede those downs to any of those younger players. So uh, yeah, just hanging on in that like middle RB two range, but I'm definitely a little bit more pro girly than I am Le'Veon. I wonder what that offense is going to look like. You made the distinction with Atlanta between uh, a good offense and a a fantasy-friendly offense. Last year, the Jets offense was a bad offense and a non-fantasy-friendly offense. Uh, And I think we have Adam Gase coming out recently and saying he wanted to reduce the load on Le'Veon Bell and... That was, I think, kind of taken by some in the fantasy community to mean he's, he's going to get fewer carries and that's going to uh, impact his, his production there. But I think the way Gase was kind of talking about it was kind of putting him in more favorable situations. So that might actually help Bell if, you, if you're clinging to hope there, hoping that he's going to run into uh, fewer stacked boxes. Uh, he might be put outside a little more and won't have to be taking those, those carries that are straight up the middle uh, behind a, a terrible offensive line. They do have new starters. Uh, so we'll, we'll see how that goes. But again, you're putting your trust in Adam Gase there. So uh, I think uh, buyer beware uh, if you're going into Le'Veon Bell. Let's look at one guy who is still another, I think, winner from the draft. And you did write some uh, fantasy football winners and losers from the positions of, of the veterans who kind of saw their role either uh, increase or decrease or, or stay the same. Um, and one of those guys is Miles Sanders in Philadelphia. We kind of thought the Eagles might come out uh, of this draft with a running back, but you have Miles Sanders as a top 10 running back right now. There's not a lot of competition uh, with him in Philadelphia. So is he someone we should feel good about heading into the season? In the team, you know, kind of put out that story that they were possibly potentially looking at, you know, J.K. Dobbins when they took Jalen Hurts in that second round. And, you know, I don't know what that sig- what the actual signal is there. What, could it have just been like they, they valued J.K. Dobbins that highly and didn't want to let him continue to fall? Um, they ended up not pulling the trigger, so we don't know if that's a real thing. Like, are they looking for, like, a veteran type? Or was it really like they just looked at it as like, well, we can have Dobbins and Sanders and, like, on rookie contracts and really just go ham on explosive playmakers. That could have been something that was appealing to them as well. But this is a team that has gone and signed veteran guys in the past. You know, uh, they've signed like Garrett Blunt in late May a couple years ago. So maybe I think we all expect them to kind of add a banger. And they did sign undrafted uh, a rookie in Michael Warren, who's kind of more of a power back. Maybe they'll be in on a team like maybe they'll be on like a Carlos Hyde type. Uh, down the line but I mean I really think that that just really kind of hinders you know Boston Scott that I think Sanders at this point um, Sanders you know he set that rookie record he set a rookie franchise record with 1300 yards from scrimmage and he didn't even play 50% of team snaps in a game until week 11 last year 
then after Jordan Howard got hurt, he averaged 18 and a half touches or 95 and a half yards from scrimmage over the final eight games of the season. He played 72% of the team snaps. Um, and that included two games against the Giants where, you know, he had to leave early one because of dehydration. And then he left that week 17 game or early due to injury. That was the game where Boston started like that double spin move. That was like the Sean Bradley spin move. It was like the slowest spin move you've ever seen a running back pull off. But uh, over that span from week 11 to the close of the season, Miles Sanders was seventh among running backs in yards from scrimmage and eighth in fantasy points. He was, he scored more fantasy points to close the season where guys like Aaron Jones and Nick Chubb, those are guys who are still getting drafted over him, uh, you know, right now. Uh, the Eagles had a you know a plethora of injuries to close that season, so like it's unclear like how much the team is willing to go in on just him being a bell cow. Um, you look at Doug Peterson's history since he's been at the Eagles in 2016. A running back has reached 15 touches in a game on just 56 percent of the Eagles' games over that span. That's uh, 31st uh, of all teams in the league over that stretch. Uh, so the question is going to be like when you look at that that past usage of Doug Peterson and the teams had is the question of committee. Uh, by preference or by choice, you know, or, you know, by preference or because they had, just they had to rotate a, a, that gaggle of guys that they had because there was no clear lead backs. Sanders has one of those guys that has one of those elite combo back potential ceilings. And you look at him last year, he averaged over 10 yards per catch. He was top five in running backs in air yards. Um, and this is a team that also drafted him highly. They took him 53rd overall last year. So, I mean, I still think he's definitely, even if they add a veteran at some point, that he still can be in that strike zone of 250 to 270 touches, which is like that Kamara-like strike zone where it's not like the full bell cow usage, but it's more than enough touches. And the types of touches you're getting uh, provide a lot of fantasy upside. Uh, so, I mean, I might still be a little aggressive on him, but he, he, he's an all-around contributor into something in, in the way it's appealing to me in fantasy. And honestly, the upside still can make him even underpriced as a lower-end RV1 when we talk about what his upside you know, truly can be from a fantasy ceiling. We'll see. I mean, there was, that was an offense that kind of had to rely on running backs a little at the second half of that season after there were no wide receivers. Um, Greg Ward was wide receiver one for, for a while on, on that team. So I, I kind of wonder what that offense is going to look like when fully healthy. They just came out and said Alshon Jeffrey is supposed to play a big role, which, I mean, he's supposed to have played a big role in the past, but that hasn't gone quite as well. But, yeah, when it looks like going to, into running back, it's going to be Miles Sanders, which it should probably be in the best entrance for the Eagles. So let's move on to wide receivers. And I think throughout the industry, you look at a lot of rankings, Michael Thomas, usually wide receiver one, but you have Devonte Adams of the Green Bay Packers. Uh, is that because there is literally no one else to catch passes for the Packers? Um, are you concerned about potential game script and, and running the ball there? Uh, what makes Devonte Adams your wide receiver one this year? Yeah, you know, a lot of people left the draft and, you know, everyone wanted to write their Alan Lazard puff pieces because, you know, Alan Lazard, I mean, he is technically a winner because a lot of people thought he was just going to lose his job and he still has it. But it's also a job that he just wasn't productive for fantasy was either. Uh, so it's hard to really get latched onto. I want the guy that is going to get that Michael Thomas usage, that's going to get all those targets. And if you look at Devontae Adams, what the Packers were forced to do last year was just completely feed him. And, you know, a lot of people are still down on Adams because in totality – his season, you know, was kind of a disappointment um, because, you know, he, he played the first four games, only had like really one game where he went off and didn't score, you know, a touchdown, you know, over that span. Then he had the turf toe, missed another four games, and he didn't get rolling. By the time he really got rolling, a lot of teams that had him 
either, you know, couldn't salvage their season or had moved on from him or tried to trade him at some point. And, you know, when he caught fire, it wasn't enough. But over the final 10 games of the season, including the playoffs that he played, he had 75 catches for 917 yards and seven touchdowns, 20.9 PPR points uh, per game over that span. And in those 10 games, he scored fewer than 18.8 PPR points in just two of those games. Um, I talk about that high usage. So when you're talking about the, those numbers, yeah, they, they sound like a lot, but in, to put them into co- a context of what he accounted for in the Packers passing game, 33% uh, percent of team targets, 34% of team receptions, 41% of the team receiving yards, and 50% of the team touchdowns. So compared to Michael Thomas' situation he was in when he got 180 targets last year, Thomas had 33.1% of the Saints targets. He had 36% of their, um, of their team catches, 39% of their receiving yards, and 25% of their touchdowns. So, I mean, he was above Michael Thomas' usage levels over that span. And Michael Thomas has, has got a guy that they've added, Emmanuel Sanders. Now, Emmanuel Sanders isn't going to move the needle on saying that's a, an actual detriment to man, uh, My, Michael Thomas, but it probably makes Michael Thomas be more back to where he was in the 150 target range than 180 again. But the Packers are rolling – the same crew out that they finished the year out with and, and, and you're getting, except for Jimmy Graham was replaced by a second year tight end, Jay Sternberger and whatever Devin Funches is going to provide. Um, and then also you kind of hit on it, despite the Packers signal and their best efforts to suggest that they want to take football back to 1979. This is a team we actually should expect to pass more in 2020 because of natural regression of game script and, and you know, distribution of touchdowns they had last year. Green Bay last year was 13 and three. Their expected win total was 10 and 6. They went 9 and 1 in one score games last year. Early lines are already setting them at just an eight and a half uh, over under win total. They go from our 13th easiest schedule from last year to our eighth hardest in 2020. Um, so even though they may want to run teams in submission, it's the signal they're sending. We should expect them to have worse game script uh, than they had a year ago. And then when you talk about from a, a touchdown distribution rate, they were 25th in the league in passing touchdown rate um, and amount of touchdowns at 59%. League rate was just under 67%. So, I mean, there is still passing regression in a positive sense from a volume stance to be had for this offense, despite the signal that the Packers do want to take this thing uh, back to throwback style. And there's just no one to really take targets away from Devontae Adams. And there's no cornerback or matchup that you're going to roll away from with him. I think one of – the interesting things there with regression is what's going to happen to that defense. Also that ended up being one of the better defenses in the league last season, um, had a high sack rate, had a high interception rate. They were third in the league in interception rate. That's probably not going to happen again. So the offense isn't going to be in as favorable a position to score afterward. Uh, so that's something we need to look at and, and factor in for that Packers offense also. Um, so it, they are, they're going to be forced to pass more, whether they want to or not. So we'll, we'll see how that goes and, and how excited they are to do that. But that is definitely something to keep in mind for Devontae Adams. I think as we look forward, I think one of the, uh, I think what stands out here when I go through your rankings, right now you have Calvin Ridley as wide receiver 14. That is like a, a kind of a Chris Godwin type uh, a leap, I think, that you are expecting from Calvin Ridley. So what... What are your expectations there, and why is Ridley so high? And unlike, you know, he's kind of the industry darling this year, like Godwin was last year, where it's just really hard to punch holes and things. But unlike Godwin, we've already seen Ridley be productive, you know, his first two seasons in the league. We, we've seen him play, and you know we can outproduce, you know, opportunity he has so far through two years. He's been the wide receiver 22 and the wide receiver 27 in overall scoring despite his expected point totals being wide receiver 34 and 38. So he's a guy that can definitely 
uh, you know, outkick, outkick opportunity. And he was only at 92 and 93 targets his first two years in the league. Now the team last year traded Mohamed Sanu midseason. And after they traded Mohamed Sanu, Calvin really jumped up to just a shade under 18 PPR points per game, his final six games before he also, you know, was shelved to close the season. He had 18.8% of the team targets after his 15%. And as a rookie, he only averaged 15.3% uh, target share per game. Um, you know, Julio did miss a little bit, of, a couple a couple games there, like a game and a half and came off the field. But, you know, also you factor in Austin Hooper is not going to be in this offense. And we'll talk about another guy that probably benefits from that. But even in the games Austin Hooper didn't play, I mean, you look at the lines Calvin Ridley had, I mean, you know, eight catches, six catches, eight catches. Uh, so, I mean, he's just got a runway to really clear the 92 and 93 targets that I said he's had so far this year, uh, his first two years in the in the league, I should say. Um, and he's just kind of that industry darling. And they're going to, like I said, top five in the team pass attempts the past years. I don't really think that they've done anything this offseason to get better. And they're in a division that still, you know, projects to be like, you've got to score points in the NFC South. Uh, so, I mean, I'm, I'm really high on Calvin Ridley, you know, kind of already taking that next step forward and seeing him actually get value now instead of having to just rely, you know, on scoring those touchdowns. Yeah, and not a lot of defensive upgrades. They'll, they'll get a little healthier, hopefully, but I think we say that about Atlanta every season, um, but not a lot of defensive upgrades that are going to help them stay in games either. So that's probably going to be a, a negative game script there for, for a lot, especially going against some of those offenses in, in the NFC South, or at least maybe uh, Tampa Bay and New Orleans as we'll see. So let's move on to someone in that Atlanta passing game, which I think some people will also find interesting. You have Hayden Hurst as a tight end one, and we'll say a tight end one, not the tight end one, that just means a top 12 for uh, standard leagues. Um, you have Hayden Hurst as a, as a tight end one. Um, what makes you so bullish on Hurst uh, in this offense uh, heading into the season? A lot of the things that we've talked about already, this turned into like an Atlanta Falcons fantasy friendly show, I guess. Uh, you know, we have to maybe just dub that for the title. Uh, but you look at Hayden Hurst, he's, he just got kind of buried there. Remember, they actually drafted him one ahead of Lamar Jackson and two ahead of Mark Andrews uh, in that same draft. So if you want to give the Ravens a lot of credit and talk about how smart of an organization they are, they make mistakes too. Uh, but, you know, hey, they were able to realize uh, that Andrews was the guy. Uh, and, and get a, a pick back for Hayden Hurst, but it's really a good fit for him. I mean, he's a guy that can be a little bit explosive. He was 12th in the NFL in uh, yards per route run. Now that was playing in a, in a totally different offense, but he's going from a team that literally ran the fewest pass plays in the NFL last year to the team that ran the most. Uh, and, you know, he's talked about the year before that too. There's rollover. Atlanta was also top five in 2018. Atlanta likes to, they, you know, Matt Ryan likes to use his tight ends. I mean, he targeted his tight ends 18% of the time last year, nine times per game. Uh, they, and the thing that helps Hurst the most is you exit this draft. They didn't add any other wide receiver depth, which means Hurst for intermediate targets in this offense is going to have to contend with guys like Russell Gage and Laquan Treadwell uh, for those intermediate targets. <laughs> Those are not guys that are really going to scare you off. You know, when it was Muhammad Sanu and Austin Hooper, you could say, well, there could be some, you know, back and forth, you know, in games where it can oscillate, where these guys can hurt each other. But Russell Gage, he got burned to close last year after Sanu was traded. He averages six yards per target, 9.1 yards per catch. Like, that's nothing to be excited about. Treadwell is getting a second act that we don't know what even he's going to provide, if anything. I mean, this guy that's caught just 65 passes uh, through the, you know, his first four years in the league. Uh, so, I mean, I look at the draft and Hayden Hurst being kind of a winner coming out of the draft as well because they didn't add that slot guy 
or that intermediate target. So you've got Julio and Calvin Ridley now on the outside. You still, you know, we've got hopefully, you know, ghost, uh, the ghost of Todd Gurley kept re-coming re back on the backfield. Um, helps a guy like Hayden Hurst kind of work the middle of the field in that offense, which we know, like we said, is probably going to be high volume and have to score points. We'll see. The, that ball has to go somewhere. I, I don't think Julio is going to get, you know, a thousand targets, which you, you would probably think he would with how that offense is, is shaped up. But yeah, those targets are going to have to go somewhere. And we've seen Calvin Ridley be good. We haven't seen Hayden Hurst be good, but that opportunity is there. And like we've talked about in fantasy football, the opportunity is, is what we're chasing. And that's what we want to see. And, and Hayden Hurst has that. Uh, and not only does he have the opportunity, we saw Atlanta go out and, and make an effort to acquire him. So that definitely helps of what they're thinking heading into the season. So let's finish up with one more tight end question. It's the question I think everyone wants to know. What should we expect from WWE 24-7 champion Rob Gronkowski? Is, uh, is Gronk still the champion? Is he the WWE champion still? Uh, Gronk is the 24-7 champion, which is like some made-up title that literally, as, as the title says, uh, should be defended uh, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Um, so I think we, got, we have the Fox tie-in. He's going to be on an NFC team. Uh, WWE <laughs> SmackDown right now is on Fox. You have the tie-in. I think the possibilities are endless. Um, but good for Gronk, showed up at WrestleMania for like five minutes, won a championship, uh, got traded to the Buccaneers to play with, with Tom Brady. Uh, Rob Gronkowski had, had a nice little, little offseason here. Um, so uh, as we get serious, what, what should we expect from Rob Gronkowski on Tampa Bay? Even in his last stint with the Patriots, which was now over a year ago, he was not the Rob Gronkowski we remembered. He was kind of a hobbled version. He was uh, mm -hmm. a blocking tight end who kind of caught passes sometimes, and that was real limited. Um, but when he did, it, it still flashed. He had those big catches in the Super Bowl, but it, it, he wasn't Rob Gronkowski. So what should we be looking at for him now? Yeah, you hit upon it. it. Was the last time we seen him? It was not the guy that you know was the best tight end in football for the for a decade when he was able to play. Uh, you know, he averages fifty two and a half receiving yards per game. It was the fewest amount of yards he had in a season by over fifteen yards in any game outside of or any season outside of his rookie year. And then just the touchdowns weren't there for him either. I mean, he caught he he had just three touchdowns the last time we saw him. You know. Uh, after being that career like touchdown Gronk spike, uh, I'm gonna score a touchdown 17% of my catches. That didn't happen for him. But uh, even with his production being down, uh, like you said he still averaged 14 and a half yards per catch. Was still getting when he did catch the ball, it was you know explosive plays. Um, but uh, yeah, so we we find him in the situation now though where it's completely different. You have the year off of football, and and I know that you can tell yourself story. Well, maybe year of football was good for him. You know, he got healthy, but he's also lost a lot of weight. He doesn't really look as physical as he was. Maybe that comes back around by the time the season starts. And tight end is inherently a low bar anyways, too. You talk about even that year he was bad. He was still the tight end 11 in points per game in 2018. So it's still a low bar for him to get there. The question now with Robert Gronkowski, though, is one, you still have the health and availability factor with Gronk. I mean, he's going to be 31 years old this May. Um, he hasn't appeared in full 16 games since the 2011 season. So you still have to anticipate there's going to be some missed time for Rob Gronkowski. Um, and then he's going to be playing now that in an offense now. It's not going to feature a 33-year-old slot receiver and a satellite back. 
he's going to be playing with two outside wide receivers in their prime. I shouldn't say outside because Godwin, you know, plays big slot a lot, but he's running with two really prime wide receivers in their career. And they also still haven't traded OJ Howard. Uh, Tampa Bay did run a lot of 12 personnel, but they ran more out of 12 than, than threw out of it. So, I mean, you know, is it a team that is, is, O.J. Howard's still going to be, like, involved. And we still have to run back this Bruce Arians card because we had lived through this last year with O.J. Howard. We said, well, Bruce has never had good tight ends. That's why he doesn't use them. And then, you know, the O.J. Howard couldn't get on the field last year. And then when he did, he made a bunch of mental errors and couldn't, you know, get out of the doghouse. So is it going to be an offense that features the tight end inherently? Or is Gronk just going to be kind of uh, another piece of the puzzle that goes along for the ride and makes some big plays and is used in a capacity, you know, kind of score touchdowns and that you just really can't count on? from a fantasy stance, you know, week to week, getting a lot of value. Um, but like I said, it's a low bar. The upside's definitely there. He's in a right offense that's going to score points. So it's kind of really hard to kind of keep him out of that tight end one mix. Like when we're saying I'm elevating guys like Hayden Hurst, um, you know, whether you believe Noah Fant's going to take a spike this year, you know, if Michael, Mike Gusecki can roll over his back half of his 2019 usage. I mean, when you get him grouped up with all those guys, there's, I mean, it, it's hard to really say, like, well, I don't trust Gronk, but I trust these other guys. Uh, you know what I mean? Especially when he's playing in a good offense. So uh, I think that's like the area of where, you know, he kind of falls, uh, to, you know, kind of that upside tight end. I don't think he's going to be a wire to wire guy that you can just lean on for top five production, but he's going to have some spike weeks uh, and be a little volatile in that regard, but come out good at the end of the season because the the, the bar for season-long fantasy points for tight ends is so low that he can get into that mix to be a tight end one. And I think one of the other things in the Bruce Arians offense is he'll have a quarterback now who wants to throw to that tight end. I think if Rob Gronkowski is on the field, Tom Brady is going to want to throw to him. That's a dynamic that the Arians hasn't had before, even last year with uh, Jameis Winston and the throwing to O.J. Howard. That wasn't always his, his top target. But I think with the uh, potentially the shortened offseason and shortened training camps that that chemistry that Brady and Gronk do have might help them out a little bit with with some of that volume but again we'll see in tight end especially once you get past the the Kittles and um and the Kelseys it's kind of who knows we're uh, rich knows rich rich is knows better than than most of us so uh listen to what he is saying about these side of the rankings but yeah once once you get that it's it's a huge just mesh of of a whole bunch of guys who might end up good and, and might end up bad and it's a whole bunch of unknown more than any other position i think that we have once you get past those top guys we don't know um so that's just one thing that we will keep an eye on so we are going to and there you can find all of Rich's rankings right now, as we said at the top at sharkfootballanalysis.com. That's where you can find all of our work. Um, you can find Rich on Twitter at Ward Reeves. You can find me on Twitter at Dan Pizzuta. Um, please uh, rate and review this podcast if you have not. We appreciate you guys listening. Uh, we're still going to be weekly through uh, this offseason. We're going to be coming back with a, with a whole bunch of things. We're going to be looking at Dynasty. We're going to be looking at uh, more rankings, just a whole bunch of strategy. And, and Rich is going to be writing that for the site. And a whole bunch of good stuff is going to be coming. So uh, thank you guys for uh, listening, and we will talk to you again soon. Oh, you know, man, you know, man, you know, man.